Hey, everybody. Okay, so here's the deal. We love doing the show. Tell me everything's a total blast, but we now want to hear from you. So here's what we're thinking. As a way to sort of like get our audience more involved with the show, we are creating a bit of a fun contest for everyone who is tuning in. They're listening. They're maybe enjoying what they're hearing. So here's the whole breakdown. We want, and this is a bit of a ploy to get reviews on Apple Podcasts, but are we shameless about it? Of course. Do we have any reservations about those feelings? No. So here's what we want from you. We want all of our listeners, anyone who's enjoying the show, to pop over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, and in a comment, yes, maybe say something nice about the show. We would love that. But also, we want you to tell us which would be your three favorite things in pop culture that you would talk about if you came on the show. And here's the deal. If you do that, we're going to pick our favorite and then you are going to be entered into a contest held on our Instagram. We're going to get everyone to vote. And then if you are selected as the winner, you are going to get a personalized note from me along with a gift from our pop culture prize table. All of that that you'll see on the show's Instagram page at Tell Liam Everything. So you have until December 11th to get in your reviews on Apple Podcasts, leave the five star, write the little comment, share your three favorite things in pop culture that you're loving. And it's going to be fun, fun, fun. Famously, as the Beach Boys said, until daddy takes the T-bird away. You understand. So everyone, be sure to get in those comments, leave the five star review, write your three favorite pop culture things. And then let's get you a little prize to head into the new year until the holiday season. So fun. Okay, bye. Hi, babes. Welcome back to Tell Me Everything. I'm your host, Liam Garrow. This is a show, in case you aren't familiar with it by this point, where I invite a guest on, and I really, honestly, I task them with homework. I give a guest homework, and I say, listen, you have to do three things, or I rather, I want you to bring on three things. I want guests to bring on three of their favorite moments, things, people that fall under the broad and wonderful umbrella that is pop culture. So we could be talking about someone's favorite CD. We could be, I just said CD. I'm so old. We could be talking about a CD. We could be talking about a record, an old 45. We could be talking about someone's favorite actor or, you know, prestige Oscar winning performance. We could also be talking about, I don't know, Scandaval over at Vanderpump Rules. It really doesn't matter. We love a high-low. Anything a guest wants to bring, I want to get into. And more than anything, I want them to tell me everything about it. And on this show, we always have incredible guests, but this one is such a treat. Bridger Weiniger, let me tell you something about this man. He's a funny actor, writer, comedian. He has lent his talents to shows like Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Black Monday, and most recently Blockbuster. And he is also a podcaster. He hosts the hit show, I Said No Gifts, which is available wherever podcasts are available. He's honestly a dream. He's a gem. He's a delight. And I can't wait for you all to hear my conversation with him. Everyone, please <laughs> put your hands together, even though you're maybe at home alone, for my chat with Bridger Weiniger. Listeners, when I tell you that we we were chatting about this a little bit before we officially started recording, but this is a bit of like a time warp. We are, we're recording on Zoom as we have done with all these episodes, but Bridger, you were the one to point out and it is really true. It's been like, this still feels very much like vintage pandemic times, like the connecting over Zoom. It feels, I think that the product will always just have that tied into it, right? It's all, like, there's no getting around it at this point. Zoom is that. So I yeah. think even if people aren't thinking about it because we use it so for other things, that's all for me, there's just this horrible undercurrent on Zoom that's just draining like five to 10% of my energy. Right. Because what it does is pull a, like, it pulls us both back mm-hmm. to just like a moment in all of our lives, arguably the planet's life when we just were the most sad we've ever been and the most not wanting to go outside. When I was riding a high, my golden years oh. in the past for me. Do you feel like COVID really fucked you over because like you lost out on those three years, which were your golden years? Is that what you're feeling? No, the, <laughs> I was kidding. But I do. Do you know what? I think everybody's three years younger. I think like you didn't get those three years of life. So none of us kind of aged during those. I mean, we actually rapidly aged. Rapidly. I. But I think you would- just take the three years back. Bridger, you're never going to believe this. I'm actually 12 years old, and this is what's happened to me. I, you were, 
I've really morphed into like, you know, those kinds of like stylized paintings where someone like draw, like they paint something exactly as though it were photographed and they put the, a screen over it and they just like deliberately smudge it. That's what I look like. <laughs> it's working for you. Thank you. I look like the constant rendering of like Vaseline over the lens. <laughs> Everything and needs to be in soft focus. For you to have to go through the sixth grade pandemic, not uh, a great feeling. I mean, we were learning advanced multiplication, girl, double digit multiplication. <laughs> I mean, I still don't know where that remainder goes. I'll say that. <laughs> Can I say something else? You're yes. holding your mic and I'm holding my mic. Do you prefer mm -hmm. holding your mic? You want to know something? Yes, because I'm a very physical speaker and I want to make sure wherever I go, this mic's going to follow me. I agree 100%. If, I, if the mic is static, I feel so trapped. Emotionally. Emotionally. Uh, Physically. Mentally. Yeah. Uh, psychically. But when I'm holding it, and I think it just gives you some power. I feel like I'm in such control. You know what it is? Something about holding a microphone makes me feel drunk. You know what I mean? Like, I just kind of <laughs> yes. feel like I, like I feel like a messy person at a wedding. I've grabbed hold of the <laughs> microphone. No one's asked me to speak. And I just stumble up to the podium and I say, listen, I have something to say about Brenda and David and no one here is going to like it. This is, is absolutely podcasting that you've this just summed it up in such an incredible way. Yeah. I've podcasting, got the mic and I'll say whatever I want. Podcasting is like being drunk at a wedding is basically <laughs> how it distills down to is really the thing. Now, Bridger, Absolutely. honey, how are you doing? You Thank you so much for coming on the show. What's going on? Tell me everything. Thank you. I, I'm so happy to be here. Uh, you know, I'm picketing. Uh, it's 100 yes. degrees. I just found out that I'm, uh, I got an email. I'm part of some class action lawsuit about sewage. I'm not quite oh. sure what it is, but we'll, I'll get into that after. I'm thrilled to be part of any class action suit. Uh, those <gasps> are the two thrilled. big events of my day. And now, yeah. can I assume you're the one being sued? Yes, there are, there are a lot of people suing me. Just, they found out that you were dormant for the strike and they were like, now's the time to pounce. The sewage we, thing. Get him. We have been trying to serve this guy papers for eons and then they walked right outside of Universal <laughs> Studios and they said, we found him. There he is. Let's get him. Now, this is an interesting question because we are, this for people listening, this is a bit of a time machine because we're recording this in the summer and so we're still in like, early-ish days of the SAG strike that is now running concurrent to the WGA strike. So talk to me just about what's life looking like for you right now. Well, I so I'm in both guilds, so I've been striking since May 1st. And oh. it was <laughs> getting exhausting about July 5th. I was like, oh, this yeah. no longer feels like a... It felt like a little break or something. You got to see friends and go on walks. I know, and then you're and like, oh it, my God, I would love to meet for lunch. You're like, well, I'm free. Like, we're all on strike. It's pandemic. I mean, it really is as close to that quarantine feeling as you can Yes. Get. So it was yes. starting to really drag. And then SAG struck, and it gave me a little boost for 10 minutes. But then now we're in a heat wave. So I go outside, and I'm immediately oh. wet. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know how I'm feeling anymore. Because there's no end in sight. I know. It's a little bit like, well, we can see the light at the t end of the tunnel. It's like, can we? We, we can't. We cannot. Nobody knows what the, where the light is. And Our people will be like, they'll like tell, say a date. No one knows a date. Why no. would there be a date? Well, we know that um, an anonymous producer who spoke to Variety wants to bankrupt all writers and actors come <laughs> Thanksgiving. So I guess there's that. Again, I, you know, I make these choices and I, th I think it'll be the best for the industry as a producer. I just, uh, you have to beat the writers and actors down a little bit. Sure. You know, the people who centrally create all of your content from the ground up, make sure they're really just caught between a rock and a hard place and that rock <laughs> being homelessness and then just complete financial destitution. It's so wild to me. It's incredible because to me, it's what's uh, so unconscionable about it is basically when when someone says the quiet part out loud. Of like, we all know, of course, the purpose of a strike or why people are like why producers are holding out is because they want people to struggle financially so that they can just acquiesce to whatever their terms are. Like we're like, that's the implicit undercurrent. We get it. But for someone to actually say, well, no, we want people to lose their homes. You're like, you are the devil spawn. Well, when that was said, people were like, this is a tactic by the producers. They're just trying to scare us. I was like, if that's really their tactic, it is the worst tactic I have ever heard of because now we're all furious. 100% where it's like, oh, motherfucker, we're going to be in to the f like until until we are all just like 
homeless together outside of Netflix Studios, we are going to be picketing until the day we die. Yes, we went through the pandemic, so nobody cares anymore. It's like, sure, I'll, I'll do this for as long as I have to. Now, you mentioned also that there's a heat wave going on where you are. But the real question I have is this. Are you, Bridger Weiniger, a sweater? I'm, that's a great question. No, I don't think I am, <gasps> except for in extreme, extreme, the conditions have to be wild, like they currently are. I have to be outside in 100 degree heat, and I begin sweating. But I think I'm pretty lucky as far as sweating in other situations goes. I am a person who will sweat to the extent where someone will look at me and be like, Liam, did you just run a half marathon? I'm like, no, I stood up. <laughs> I, I put on my shoes and looked like, and somehow now look like I jumped into a pool. Now, is this like a prescription deodorant situation? Babes, we can't do the prescription deodes because the thing about it is like, one, didn't even know it was a real thing. Two, I just like, <laughs> I think like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's so beyond the pale. It's just one of those things where I've needed to accept the fact that I'm a person who's just going to look like they just got caught in a rainstorm throughout most of the summer. And that needs to be okay <laughs> with everybody. And I'm also very, here's the thing. I'm very considerate about the sweat, by which I mean, I will never, ever, because this drives me nuts when the tables are turned. Have you ever gone to like hug someone and only then realized how sweaty they are? And like, Oof. it never occurs to them. Not even for a second to say, like, just so you know, like, maybe before you hug me, I'm really sweaty. Just give me a heads up. I, I will exert that caution 10 out of 10 times, Bridger. Absolutely. If I'm wet, I will, I'm willing to hug. I will hug anybody. But yes. I will let you know in advance that your hands will need to be washed. That there's going to be some level of smell transferring. Yes. And, and if anything, I'll put the ball in your court. You let me know if you want to hug the sweaty mess. Exactly. Yes. Now, in the in the vein of how can I how can I find this segue? I will say, in the vein of being a sweaty mess, I will say your <laughs> first because you have brought in three gorgeous th things, moments, um, extensions that fall under the sort of pop culture umbrella writ large. Three things that you sort of are obsessed over, but the one, the first that we're diving into, I have to tell you, is a personal soft spot for me, and I probably broke. Many a sweats, many a night sweats even, playing this w deep into the <laughs> nights of summer. Bridger Weiniger, you, for your first Tell Me Everything poll, have procured the video game Banjo-Kazooie. Bridger, my God, tell me everything. It, it, and more than anything, explain yourself. I feel so safe right now. I, feel I want you to. so unbelievably, for you to open like that, that you even are aware of this product. Is girl, so reassuring. So we should say a video game. We're to, and Banjo Kazooie. Girls, everyone in your in your you know time capsules. We're going back to 1998. Mm -hmm. That's when the game came out. It's a little game in which uh, we're dealing with a cartoon bear and his um, bird psychic, not psychic sidekick. <laughs> um, although you know what, if Kazooie, who are we to say if Kazooie has premonitions? Right. There's got to be layers there. And she's so, riding in his backpack. Yes, helping him fly. She's like is kind of an assistant, a mean assistant. Yeah, who really is kind of like running the show. It's very, it's right. giving very much like Annie Potts energy. I'm like hundred <laughs> percent. You think I'm the secretary? No, 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 no. I'm running this office <laughs> because I see the whole picture. Because I literally have a bird's eye view. <laughs> so tell the me. I mean, why is it? Yeah. Why is it important to you? Why? Like, I'm so curious, though, because this is I'm not kidding. This is a real soft spot and like touchstone for me in my childhood. Of course. And same for me. And I mean, obviously, nostalgia colors so many things. And then you go yes. back and you're like, oh, this was garbage. This was just because I didn't have taste or didn't know how things worked. Sure. Um, Banjo-Kazooie came out. I was a kid. I was obsessed with it. Um, thought about it all the time. Played it constantly. And then years passed and I didn't play it, but I thought about it on occasion. And a couple of years ago, I was like, oh, I want to play that again. I wonder if it's still good. And they had kind of remade it or just like uh, modernized it slightly for the Xbox, which I didn't own. Mm. But it's like, I bought one exclusively to play this game. Love and that. it's perfect. It's, I mean, I told you before we, uh, before today that I was going to really overthink my choices. And I yes. thought, so hard about all of this and i love a Good. lot of video games but banjo kazooie is like 
a nice sweet spot where it's like looks like it's for kids but it's like anybody can play it mm-hmm. and like it was a time when like money could be put like and this is how all media is now and i'm getting into such a boring thing but like no please interest, go 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 interesting new ideas rarely get any money poured into them at this point like even with video That's games true. with movies tv shows this podcast has go ahead <laughs> oh, podcast. <laughs> let's talk about that um but Banjo-Kazooie, I think it was 98, and this was when 3D games were still new and all this, so I think companies were willing to just dump money into untested ideas. And right. so it's like a quality, uh, probably for the time, big budget project that is not for everybody. I, I mean, like, at, at least surface level. It's about a bear carrying a bird around, and you collect jigsaw puzzle pieces. And like, and, and uh, you have little honeycombs as your health. Yes. And you're like, uh, you bully like a mole that is trying to help you the, along the way. Yes. Uh, it's... Uh, and I also, and this observation must, absolutely must have been made at some point. It is so gay. Well, so now this is the thing. <laughs> because I firmly believe, and I really want to know your take on this, I really do feel like video games are the unsung and very underrepresented heroes of like foundational queer culture. Oh, I, I mean, go on. I. I'm totally on board with this. My feeling being it's sort of the first, uh, it's the first maybe concrete mental exercise we're playing where we're sort of like world building in our mind. And we're sort of Mm -hmm. like, no, 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 I'm in the closet, but I'm going to go into this other world and just get lost in this color, you know, Fantasia for the Mm -hmm. next three hours. And I just want to be, this little bear running around in a cute pair of jeans, topless with a backpack. And guess who's in that fucking backpack, bitch? My fucking bird, bitch. My sassy bird. My sassy bird who is on... I can't stress it enough. She's Annie Potts. She's Judy Holiday. <laughs> she's Cindy Lauper. She's every quick-talking, <laughs> fast-walking New York broad, okay? Like, that's it's who Kazooie true. is. Yes. It's so true. It's such a, like, I mean, and uh, Banjo the bear is weirdly hot. He's, like, got little I yellow know. shorts on. He's, like, kind of built. It's like, this, did they realize at the time that this looked so gay? Uh, well, I also really firmly believe also that just, like, so much of that also just gets, like, pardon, gets put into the into the gay culture because it's also just, like, that was an era. I think what you're describing is so true where they're like, no, like let's have it look flashy and colorful and fun. Like this is new novel technology. We must capitalize on this. Right. A hundred percent. And yeah, like I, I agree with you, like the going into the other worlds. And I think the other thing about uh, like as a kid feeling gay or whatever, video games were not, at least at the time, were not that cool. And so it was another thing to put on. It was like, oh, I'm not like other people because of this. Does that make any sense? Where it's like, oh, it, my interests rather than who I am. Except for, you know what? That goes two ways because, yes, there's an undeniable sort of like outcast element to video games because it's like if you're the video game player, maybe you're the nerd, you're the geek, you're the blah, blah, blah. But in some ways, especially I think for gay boys, there's a bit of um, like a safe space around video games because it's also like a safe it's a safe, comfortable way to like connect with other boys that doesn't involve sports. Oh, how fascinating, right? Although I, I'll say for like Banjo Kazooie, it was like every other kid was playing Crash Bandicoot, which was like a more is such a straight product. Well, and Crash Bandicoot. I mean, here's the thing: the thing about young boys is that they're terrors, and they <laughs> just and they really do, I think, relish and have so much social currency built into just being like people that want to like blow stuff up and (laughs) games that were sort of predicated around that exclusively or that seemed too wild. I couldn't get on board. I'm still that person. I I'll probably play one to two video games a year and I can't play anything that feels stressful like that. Any type of shooting, any type of explosion. I need it to be relatively calm. So wait, were you like a video game kid? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, that's, that's why we're connected somehow. I mean, I was, uh, yeah, I've, uh, I had a Super Nintendo, I had a Nintendo 64, I had a Dreamcast, and then, like, we start getting into more, like, teen and adult years, but, like, yeah, I play, I've been playing video games since, because my brothers had a Nintendo, uh, probably two years after I was born or something, so... So, wait, how old are you? Uh, I'm 38. 
And then you, are you the baby? Uh, third. I have a younger sister. You have a younger sister, but you're the yeah. youngest boy. Yes. Well, first of all, I want to say this. For people who can't see Bridger, Bridger looks like he's 27 years old. So I just want to get that <laughs> out there. That's first of all. And second of all, uh, what was in the roster then of the video games? Like if you had to distill it down to your top five, what were the go-tos? Uh, like what year? Do you want, should we name a year? Okay, let's do, let's do... Let's do from 1993 to 1998. Okay. Um, Mario 64. Of course. Uh, Zelda Ocarina of Time. You, of you said to, till 98. Of course. <laughs> uh, Banjo. Yes. Wave Race 64. Excellent choice. And uh, then I would probably say like Super Mario World, the 2D one. <gasps> Is Was that the one where you, you had like a team of people fighting bad guys? No. This is where Mario ha- um, has Yoshi. He has a yellow cape. Yes. Does that of make course. sense? Yes. I'm blanking on the name, but there was a Super Nintendo game and maybe it wasn't mario all-stars god damn it can't remember what it was called but the whole conceit of the game was like you were like a team like you were sort of like it was like a it was like mario rpg and you oh, could mario be rpg of course yes and Wonderful. then you had your like and then you had your like your little team one of them was like a little cloud the other <laughs> one was like a He's kind like a of doll yeah but on, and also kind of game magician yeah i i mean but i mean at least in the nintendo world the gayness just is all over the place, which is, inc- it's really incredible. I mean, I've yeah. said for years that everyone in the Zelda universe is gay. Every single no. character. Tell me I'm wrong. Well, you're not. So first of all, let's break it down. Link is a twink. Uh, oh yeah, he's got a great body. Great body. Um, the Gorons are all bears. Uh, <laughs> yes. Zelda, I mean, there's obviously the trans analogy there between her shifting back and forth between oh, her and Sheik. Sheik, of course. I didn't even think of that one. And then, you know, and then it all distills down from there. But there is, there was just something like, God, there was just so much whimsy to a video game. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are your top five in that era? Well, you know, you and I have a lot of crossover because I'm, first of all, my number one is absolutely Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. And I might be a real bad bitch. Here's the thing. I know I said 1998 and I think this one came out in 2001, but I'm all about breaking the rules, Bridger. It's 98. Look it up. You're thinking about Majora's Mask. I am. I, I am. 98 was a pivotal year for me playing video games, so I've got a pretty clear idea. And then also, um, remember when Donkey Kong 64 did that of game course. and you could be all the different members from mm-hmm. the Donkey Kong family? Here's what I'm realizing. I have a real soft spot for like being able to assume the other identities of characters because then they all have like their own unique way they walk. They have their own special little powers. They all have their own special like way that they factor into the universe writ large. Liam, can I ask you about Donkey Kong 64? Of course. Did you finish that game? That game, I believe, is unfinishable. There, you, you know, you're collecting little objects, and I would, I would say there are probably 200,000 things you have to collect in order to finish the game. Can I share something with you? Mm-hmm. Before we got on this Zoom call... I, and I've not looked into this in 20 years, and I don't know if you ever do this. Do you ever just to like get your nostalgia fill, go to YouTube and just like watch people do whole like game through <laughs> gameplay walkthroughs of like old games we played as kids? I've never done it, but you do. It's, well, here's the thing. And I don't make a habit of it. I I have a life bridger, but I mean, <laughs> I... I found myself, I, I will do that from time to time just because I want like the little pull, like the little fix. So I watched that. I watched the Donkey Kong 64 one and I zoomed past towards the end because I was like, I was trying to remember like, wait, did I beat this game? And do you want to know something? I have zero memory of the ending. So I'm I, can't sure. confidently, I can't even confidently say that I finished it. Because I remember being very excited about that game and then being like, I don't know, I probably played it for months and then realized, oh, this is never going to end for me. I no. lost interest. They've gone too far. Well, now here's the real question. Considering your penchant for Banjo-Kazooie, were you a Banjo-Tooie girl? No. (gasps) That's another game I didn't finish. Because they went too big. (sighs) It is too big, but it was so fun. I believe you. But I just think like the formula of Banjo-Kazooie was exactly right. Mm, it It was in the pocket. Yeah, it felt large enough but it didn't feel overwhelming. Banjo-Tooie, and Banjo-Tooie is gray. It's not a very colorful game. 
You're right. Do you want, and for listeners who don't know what we're talking about, is because it all of a sudden took on a very industrial feel. It's yes, like banjo, banjo kazooie very much lived out in nature, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, now we get to play and we're like a washing machine that's hopping up and down a pathway. Wait, what's going on? Factory floor. It, like it all became very brutalist. Yes. You're right. And at that age, I wasn't ready for that. At least with banjo kazooie. Well, I needed now, them to be on the beach. Well, now that you're an adult of refined taste, maybe Banjo-Tooie is like the game that you go back to and you go, wait a minute, now this game is meeting me at the right time in my life. You've, I mean, who knows? I enjoyed Banjo-Kazooie a couple of years ago. I think I might be ready. Do you still have uh, the consoles? Uh, No. Like Nintendo uh, 64? Yeah. No. Because when I was a kid, like anytime a new console came out that I wanted, my parents would sell the old one to get to put towards the new one. Mm. So I would, which was such a drag because then you would want to play the old games, but. And then you, you lose want... out on all that revenue of all those other games they spent money on. Of course. Of course. So, uh, but I don't have my, I think the oldest thing I have now is a Wii. Can I come over and can we play? Thanks so much, Bridger. <laughs> really course. appreciate it. <laughs> Get on a plane. Yeah, I'm, I've purchased my ticket. I want to move on because you, it's very funny. There's a strange, listen, for listeners at home, Bridger and I, we've never met. We've exchanged but a few DMs on social media, but so many of your polls, definitely two out of the three, and we're getting to the next one, has such, uh, such a pull and had like, and factored so largely in my life. You wanted to talk about Eleanor Friedberger's, specifically her album, last summer this was an album that came out in 2011 it kind of really put her on the mark for like indie darling that platform you know completely i mean she's such an intro well first of all i want to say like when we talk about the next thing it's so funny before you revealed what we were about to talk about if you were talking about the next thing being such a pivotal part of your life i would have been like what's happening no listen the first of all and we're teasing it now but your third thing that you came in with I'm not kidding. When Mimi, our producer, passed it on to me, I screamed. We, we So, but let's not bury the lead here. But Eleanor Friedberger, so tell me, first of all, when did you first become aware of her? Okay, so, and I, just to uh, preface this, I wanted to talk about music, but I was like, I, want, I don't want to talk, like, picking an album from the 70s or whatever is such an easy thing where it's like, oh, that's a such an easy, safe choice. I wanted to pick somebody who's still active, somebody who I want to continue making music. And Eleanor is one of these people, but mm. she is, uh, she was in the fiery furnaces, uh, another yes. giant indie band. And my little sister, like I would say I had a pretty big influence over my little sister's taste in, uh, high school. We, uh, more so then, than the, than the older other brothers, zero taste. Oh, I mean, are they, are they also straight? They're straight. There it is. And they, Go ahead. They, yeah, I mean, and, we don't even and need say to no get more. Into and, it. and say no more. And honestly, <laughs> say no more. Say no more. Uh, but Fiery Furnaces were the first band my little sister introduced me to, which and she just nailed it. I mean, she hit it out of the park in such a massive way because they're such a great band. They are more complicated though because they are willing to experiment in ways that a lot of people find pretty off-putting. They put, they recorded a full album with their grandma. They do, they will go for it. And I appreciate all of it. I love all of it. Um, but in 2011, they had, they had kind of put themselves on hiatus and Eleanor comes out with this album, but she's so known for being part of the fiery furnaces. When someone's so part of a band, you think, Oh, like whatever they put out is just going to be like their scraps or like, well, I had these ideas. It's Stevie Nicks all over again. It's the Stevie Nicks panic all over again, but not, (laughs) not unlike Eleanor, Stevie showed them. (laughs) I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. And Eleanor put this album out and it's perfect. I think, and I don't want to say she's underrated or like, because whenever somebody says, or like they don't get it, it seems like they didn't get enough attention. I feel like she has been, she's, very well respected. She's successful. Uh, but at the same time, I'm like, this album is so unbelievably good from beginning to end. Every song is uh, different. It feels fresh, but they all come together as a whole. And the, her delivery to me is perfect. It's so like she, she'll sing about emotional things, but she feels just uh, distanced enough. Where she, I was going to say like her- a cool friend. Her delivery is slightly removed. Yes. But not you know, so removed that it's cold, but just like 
I'm reading my journal to you and I, this is it's what it is. Well, this might actually be a great segue because you want to know something. In case people aren't super familiar with her work, we're going to play a song of hers. And it was the lead single off of this record. Famously, of course, called, and you know what song I'm talking about. My Mistakes? Of course. Mimi, let's cue that up and let's give our listeners a, a, bit, of a, a, a bit of a taste for Eleanor Friedberger's My Mistakes. And it's going to launch them right back into that place. I swear to God. 2011, here we go. Ugh. Delicious. I mean, it's such a specific sound. It takes me right back there. But at the same time, this is such timeless music. And again, timeless Uh, is another kind of loaded word where I'm like, oh, it's like kind of boring and faceless. To me, she just, she doesn't, follow trends really she just does her thing and so it's like i i'm sure you could uh, what's a band you could point out from 2011 that's like oh my god that's 2011 uh oh i know exactly one i know exactly who kings of leon banjo uh, oh kings of leon perfect i was gonna say that band with all the banjos uh mumford and sons mumford and sons i mean that is the like that's the uh, rotting sound of 2011 uh, okay, sorry, <laughs> sorry to Carrie Mulligan's partner, but Bridger is fucking dragging you through the goddamn dirt right now. <laughs> I forgot. She's, I mean, she's done a lot of good things, but people make mistakes. You know people. what? I, and I'm going to say this, and I know this is not very bo- body positive of me, but I'm just going to say what's true. Marcus Mumford really does look terrific ever since he lost a bit of that chub. He really <laughs> does. He, he, I haven't seen him. Oh, Go, go, go do a Google. Do I'm a Marcus, Google right now. I want you to, cause I want the live reaction. Marcus Mumford, 2023, put, plug in anything you want. He's like, <laughs> he's like built, but lean. He obviously is like, he doesn't, I think, I don't think he has like a rock star diet anymore. Oh, wow. Do you see what this I'm saying? This is a completely different person. Yeah. This is, uh, wow. He looks so, uh, he looks like someone you might take seriously. Yes, that's right. And we want to be very clear. We're not saying that people who aren't 15 pounds heavier aren't people you can't take seriously. We're just talking specifically now about Marcus. Let's be very clear. Well, I'm, I'm saying kind of in the way that he kind of almost looks scary. I mean, like mm. in, a, in like a tough way. Like this isn't yeah. somebody you want to run into in an alleyway. No, because now he looks like he has um, a jawline that could cut your body in half. Exactly. And I feel like there's got to be a, a, the dissonance of watching this person sing those songs... I can't imagine what that experience must be because well, those songs are not scary and I don't take them seriously. Well, who's going to take a banjo seriously? It's Steve Martin, I guess. Uh, Kermit. Yeah, Steve Martin and Kermit. Two, frankly, very formidable men, let's be honest. Yes, and uh, probably secretly tough. And very similar Strong. builds. No one's very put this together, similar. but very similar builds. <laughs> no, wait, but getting back to Eleanor, I think what's interesting to me too about that record is like, it was so kind of also on the cusp. And this is another term that I'm reticent to use, but I'm, I want to know your feelings about it because it also in some ways, I think helped to sort of indicate the height of maybe what might be called like hipster rock. Right, right. Like, cause I can tell you, the reason I came to understand and discover who Eleanor Friedberger was, was because she was absolutely played in every single third wave mom and pop coffee shop. I stepped foot into for about three years. I believe that. But uh, would you agree? Kind of like sort of makes a part of like, I, I, I don't mean that as, as an indictment, but do you feel like no, she's no. part of part of like that hipster? Yeah, I mean, she was certainly part. I mean, like her music fell into the like, I don't know. The I guess you would say call like and, and I hate this website, but like the golden age of Pitchfork. Pitchfork, where, of like course. before it became basically like the Taylor Swift Gazette, uh, and God bless. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that like when Eleanor released this album, it's when that sort of indie rock had hit a high and was now going to vanish into whatever music is now. I mean, now it's just mm. everything, and everything's good or whatever but like guitar based music is definitely on the out well this is on the in well no actually i i would agree with the former i think we've not really had like 
And even, I guess someone could argue that, you know, Eleanor herself isn't a sort of straight up and down um, rock act, but definitely is more in that realm than she would be like, I don't know, like a dance pop record or dance pop artist, right? But rock and roll, um, I just sounded like I'm literally 80 years old. But rock and roll, like, but rock music (laughs) is, has really has not had its like, uh, um, it hasn't really had its anchor, I think, in the culture in a very long time, maybe arguably like even 15 years by this point. Oh yeah, certainly. I, um, I mean, I think that like, who's like doing guitar-ish music at this point? I feel like Billie Eilish tried some guitar-ish stuff. Olivia Rodrigo plays, has some guitar going, but that's a completely different realm of, you know, it's pop music still. It's like, this is not rock music. Right. And with Billie, it's also like a little lo-fi with the whisper singing. Uh, you know, is she ever going? Do you think she's ever going to like transition from that? Because at some, she had so many imitators that it feels like you would almost want to get away from it. Because, well, I think she did for approximately twenty seconds. Because remember when she did that photo shoot where she got to be like in lingerie for Vanity Fair or something, and then. No. She was in lingerie and had like, and kind of was done up and had like this whole kind of like blonde wig and stuff. Looked terrific. But of course, everyone admonished her online and was like, this isn't the Billy we know and you're a traitor. And you're like, can we just let people wear underwear in magazines? Like, what is the problem? So many have done it at this point. Like, are we really, can we cut it with the fake outrage of people wearing underwear in magazines? almost an obligation at this point. I'm not even in magazines and I will just wear my underwear wherever I go. It's <laughs> That's a miracle. Kind of how you, yeah, you're famous for that. Well, it's a miracle I'm even wearing clothes right now, Bridger. And let's just be <laughs> honest. I just need to be upfront about that. But now getting back to Eleanor, I want to know, were you a person then that really sort of like kept up though with her solo career? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I, she's got four albums out now. And I don't know. Have you ever seen her live? No, but my... Um, uh, a friend of mine has and said that it was like it was like the caravan of every single like middle-aged dad <laughs> it was like literally he was like there and he was like oh it's like every single person here is 55 years old like it was very like but very clearly like but like a hip 55 right right I, audience aside I, I mean that's another thing altogether going to a concert and seeing other people there you're like oh I'm like these people. I know. Horrifying. Horrifying experience every time. Yes. But what I want to say about Eleanor and Fiery Furnaces did the same thing is you would go and the music sounds absolutely nothing like it does on the record. Oh, really? And not not in a bad way. Like she is like she's maybe like the hardest. I don't even know what adjectives to use without sounding like a total dork, but like like the most rocking concert I may have ever been to. Really? fascinating i mean it was so cool it was so cool to see her like it felt like she had stepped out of like the late 70s and they were just ripping through every song because a lot of her songs are pretty mellow well i was gonna say if even just based off of that one little snippet we heard of my mistakes i mean you know certainly a very fun up-tempo song but wouldn't maybe give someone the impression that she was maybe then gonna bust out and do like a seven minute guitar solo right and i think she changes probably tour to tour but the most recent tour i saw her on was i maybe the best concert i've ever seen this was 2018 and really bridger the energy that they were putting out was it was like very punk energy and again i hate I mean, I think every adjective to do with music, I guess, is a nightmare at this point. It's just so embarrassing. Uh, well, but it was... do, you, do you want to know the truth? And do you want to know? And do you want to know why we're having that feeling? Is because there's been such an industry around uh, everyone sort of talking and thinking they're a critic now. Mm-hmm. And so now, even though we're trying to just espouse whatever we think our absolute like you know, garden variety opinion is of something. It's like, I, I feel you, I also am relating to your reticence around not wanting people to think that it's like, Oh, in saying or sharing our opinion that we think that we somehow like know better or really have our finger on the pulse of what's happening. It's like, no, this is just our experience of it. But the problem with that is that everyone sort of speaks as though they are an expert and that they're sort of like, you know, that they wrote the goddamn book on whatever it is that they're talking about. And it's exactly. so, it's so frustrating. Right. And then you, you combine that with kind of the wave of, and I think that we've, as a society, been able to get past this of calling people rock stars. 
the, who aren't rock stars. You right. know, your, as your manager calling you a rock star, that kind of thing. I think that that embarrassing culture, combined with what you just said, makes talking about music sound so lame. Because just lame every time. You're always going to... And also, there's something, I guess, that's kind of like... Also, when you want to sort of talk about something sincerely, like you always run into trite territory, even though you don't mean to be, where you're just mm-hmm. like you find yourself leaning on the same old platitudes that people have been saying for the last 82 billion years. And you go, well, I guess I really don't have anything that interesting to say. I'm talking about myself, of course. No, this is, you're kind of revealing something about yourself. It's really hard to talk about things you like. I mean, I think that that's almost everyone's problem. Like, even like sharing something on the internet, like, oh, I like this song or watch this video is such a fraught territory. It's like, oh, look at what I like. And if people don't like it, I think you have middle school beaten into you. And it's just like, it's so true. And it's don't, don't get caught being sincere is really the thing. But that's honestly why I wanted to do the show is because I'm like, I love knowing about what people love and what are, what's the thing that really helps to turn their crank. Right. And so like the whole germ of this show is wanting to carve out space for people like yourself to come on and be like, I really like this thing. Let's talk about it. It's scary. I mean, that, I mean, I was overthinking things to, like, like I was going to be revealing this, these at the White House, you know? It's like, it's just a podcast. You can talk about things you enjoy. Yes. It's scary. I think also it's very funny, and this is very now behind the curtain talk, but my producer and I, we have had this experience a little bit in reaching out to guests where I think people, not dissimilarly to yourself, kind of put a lot of pressure on themselves to p- come up with their three things. Because I think they think that by providing these three things, it's like, it's, they're like, oh my God, well, what is this going to say about me if I bring these uh-huh. three things? You know what I mean? It's, they think it's like such a, it speaks so much to their character. And you want to know something? Some, it means everything and it means nothing. That's exactly. just the truth. That's just the truth about what people are bringing onto the show. It's everything and it's nothing. It's fun and it, and, and we get to leave it alone the second we finish talking about it. Right. But then, and you get into the territory of like, I want it to be a funny thing to talk about. But then it's just like, we're talking, I mean, the next thing is funny. But uh, like, I had to really set aside the idea of each pick needed to be like a comedy thing or something oh. that would be funny to talk about. Just because that's such a, an easy place for me to go of just presenting three stupid things and then making fun of them. So to have at least picked two things that I sincerely love. Uh, took a lot of me. I'm so glad you did. Here's here's what I want to know about Eleanor before we move on to your final thing, because my God, I do have a feeling that we'll, we'll really want to carve out some time for it. But <laughs> what is the thing, though, that you would maybe want to then tell an audience of uh, who maybe wasn't as familiar with Eleanor? Like, what's the thing that you think, like, or maybe even people who listen to her, like, what's the thing that you think is so intrinsically true about Eleanor Friedberger, maybe that people don't get? Whether it's about her records, whether it's about the way she sings, performs, what what do you think is, like, so genuinely true that is not given enough praise or attention? And again, like, how do we say things that haven't already been said? But I think there, she is so specific. So lyrically, like, we get into uh, geographical locations she's talking about, uh, South Pasadena, this type of stuff. But despite that, it still feels very universal. And th- I don't know, I'll just say this album is something people don't do anymore. You can listen from beginning to end and then just start back over and listen again, which I love doing. And we've like, now that we don't have CDs that are just playing over and over in our car stereo, right? Reach the last song, and then Spotify has something that's like, a hundred miles away from what the music you were just listening to is, but you're too lazy to go back. So that it's just such an album that is a, a complete work. What do you, what was going on in your life? Do you think that also really made this album speak to you? Cause I firmly believe, first of all, I want to preface that question by saying this. I believe sometimes things speak to us just because they tickle a sensibility and that's enough. I really believe that. But then I do know, at least with myself, I'm like, oh no, I plugged into this thing because X, Y, and Z was happening concurrently in my life that absolutely helped to provide like the perfect golden thread connecting to whatever that thing was. Was there something happening in your life that also really helped this album in particular really sing for you? I'm going to, and I don't think this is necessarily true, but if I had to say, I was a year into into living in LA so mm-hmm. my life was still a complete mess. 
Nothing made any sense. I couldn't count on anything. And, you know, I was a Fiery Furnaces fan, which is a band that you kind of like have never know what to expect. It's just almost chaos all the time in a good way. But like if I had to say along comes half of the band with a very straightforward album of just pop music that is just purely enjoyable. There's not it's not difficult. It's not really going to challenge you. Uh, You just get to enjoy it. And it feels like a friend talking to you. Yeah, it feels like, oh, here's a here is my cool friend who just like nothing affects her. And uh, she has perfect taste. Where did you move to from L.A.? Utah. And so was and were you living at like, were you still living with your family in Utah? Yes. Yes. So I moved. Yeah. So don't you think there's also something about like the romanticism of because I definitely felt this when I, you know, endeavored on my, you know, adult independent life, which was that everything that I sort of then came to love in those first handful of years, let's say, felt especially precious because it really feels like the first thing you're really loving for yourself as an adult. It's not through your older siblings telling you that they like it. It's not through your parents just having it in the house. You're like, no, wait, I'm kind of carving this out for me. And that, and I think that's kind of the same feeling as like they, people recommend that you listen to new music when you go on vacation. Have you heard of this? No, because well, explain this. It's such a good, it's a truly brilliant idea. Next time you're going to a new place, get a new album that you think you might be interested in and oh. only listen to that. It connects you. I mean, the sense memory is bizarre. Oh, like it, you, must, it will must be tied be to that level. forever. Now, let's move on. And this is, if listen, if you all... If you all at home thought you knew Bridger, you don't know Bridger, okay? <laughs> because you, and I want to make sure I get this out right, for your third pull, you've provided to us something in the time capsule from November 11th, 2014. Oh, well, actually, well, that was when his album came out. I'm not quite sure if maybe, but that's in and around when this, I think, vid- video came out, I think. Mm-hmm. But you have provided garth brooks first facebook video here's what i think we should do we're gonna watch the whole thing and then let's get into it mimi let's cue that up so we can let our audience know exactly what we're Just talking let about garth here talk uh let go and let garth well i guess it's official oh my God. we're now on facebook i really wasn't sure about this at the start but then a friend of mine said something that just made all kinds of sense she said think of it more as a conversation I like that. But I'm already finding out on my own. So it's wiping the walls out between you and me. And I really like that. It allows us into each other's worlds, or I guess in my case, the hotel room. When I think about things I want to post, I want to post cool stuff, slick stuff, neat stuff. But most of the stuff I'm going to post is going to be raw stuff like this. Because it's just who I am. So if this is truly a conversation... And I say, let the conversation begin. I feel like Garth is on top of me every time I watch this video. Here's the thing about that video. Its sensibilities are simultaneously um, PBS, we want to thank our viewers like you, and also (laughs) like the first message you get from someone on Grindr. (laughs) It's like that. Why does that, why does that video, Mr. Weiniger, speak to you so much? Tell me everything. I feel so lucky to have been, I don't know how it fell in my lap because I, I feel like I was basically watching this video within days of its release. Mm. Uh, I, I mean, I used to spend a lot, I had a job that I hated and I, was, I would be on the computer constantly and just find junk over and over and over. Sure, and sure. This, I was able to, and I don't think it ever really got, you know, the internet will find something and it's like a piece of meat that flies, just devour it within seconds and then it's no longer good. But for this, for some reason, this video has maintained its shine in such a beautiful way. Uh, But at the time, I was watching it new. I was so uncomfortable. I was sending it to every single person I knew. It feels like he's on top of you. It feels like you can feel his breath in your ear. And the weird thing, I feel like he's probably a nice person. I feel like he's probably like the fun dad in the neighborhood. Yes. This is what, but this is, I think, as close as we would get if we let Tom Cruise record himself alone in a hotel room. <gasps> or somebody with just, oh. it has lost a little touch with, you, you just don't expose yourself in that way. He let his Chris Gaines come out. 
<laughs> he let his alter ego come out. Did you ever hear Chris Gaines? Did anyone ever hear Chris Gaines? Um, I definitely remember the album cover with the really dark PC bangs. Mm-hmm. But I can't confidently say that I could rattle off a song of his. A few years ago, I tried to find the music, and it feels like it's been scrubbed not only from the internet, but the planet. Really? I could not find this music to listen to. No. I was, I was just curious. I was like, what did that sound like? I couldn't find it anywhere. And maybe it's surfaced at this point. But at the time, it was, I mean, like, Garth was actively online blocking it from being on the internet. I mean, thank God he didn't do that with this video, because then we wouldn't be talking about it today. But it is so funny, because in watching it, and listeners at home, I really encourage you to find it so that you can have the visual experience. Because, and I don't mean to, listen, I will try to be as um, creatively linguistic as I can here. It is not my intention to be lascivious, but the reality is this. When you watch that video, you do kind of feel like he's inside you. Does that make sense? <laughs> uh, yes. Because he's like, he's breathing into the camera and you're so close and the lighting is oh, like, like, it's warm, dark and moody. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And the things he's saying, slick stuff, raw stuff. It's just like, these are gross words you're using, everything about. And the shame is, is again, he's probably a nice person who just was like, oh, I'm going to try to connect with my fans. And you know he recorded that in the 15 seconds Trisha Yearwood walked down the hall to get ice. And then she came <laughs> back and she saw it uploaded the next morning and she was like, Garth, what is this? And then he's like, what? <laughs> what? I was with you literally all day. And here's this 45 second clip. Can you explain what this is? She just couldn't hear him over the roar of the ice machine. She just, listen, she just was, you know, getting their supplies for their evening daiquiris, you know, just doing what they need to do. And then here she comes back to the hotel room and then she sees just what she thought was innocent Garth Brooks just sitting on the hotel bed, just thinking nothing's happened. Let let, little does she know he's really left an impression on one Mr. Bridger Weiniger somewhere else in the world. It's a video you send to your mistress. Yes. Yes. It's- yes. <laughs> it is, because here's the thing about, not only is that video horny, it's horny. Like, it, really it, it sounds like this setup, like, it's, it's like, it's the moment right before the pizza delivery person's like, what do you mean you don't have money to pay, sir? Like, and then it's like, can I pay you another way? <laughs> unbutton, unbutton, unbutton. That's what that video is. It is. And he, I mean, he points out, we're in my hotel room. It's like, what about this yeah. is not sexual? Yeah. It's honestly, it's incredible. Well, and what's so funny to me about, and I don't know if you're privy to this, but Trisha Yearwood does have a cooking show or at least did have oh, a cooking show. how am I not into this? And every so often, Mr. Garth Brooks will waltz on set, and you had best believe that man is in a loose sweatpant, probably free-balling to the gods. And he's Every one just, of his children has seen, uh, their, his children's friends have seen that man's silhouette. There's no question. And he just waltzes on in there, and then he's like, what you cooking? And then he just sometimes has like a little sneak piece bite of whatever it is that she's working on for that segment. And does it feel unproduced in that way, where like Garth is just allowed to saunter into the show? My memory of it is vague now because I was so struck by the outline, but I feel like (laughs) they must obviously know that he's doing it, but it's incredible to me. Like, I always marvel at people who are in production who don't have any concept of how to like style or dress someone for something that's on camera. <laughs> like I'll know th- again, time capsule, everybody. Are you familiar at all with the podcast? Call her daddy. Hosted no. by Alex Cooper. Big podcast through Spotify. She just did the sit down interview with Zane Malik, one of the former um, uh, members of one direction. And this woman was in a matching green sweatsuit. And I said, honey, the host of the podcast. Yes. <laughs> did you not know? It's a filmed podcast. People can see you. Did it feel like she was trying? Here's what I think it is. I think it's young Gen Z thinking that looking like you just rolled out of bed is really cute. Mm-hmm. Which I can't abide by. Because you I, and I are you and I are a similar age, and I rem- I'm sure we both remember when all of a sudden, like the the it's like the we turned a corner where all of a sudden everyone was just wearing pajamas at school and you're like, wait, what's happening? <laughs> I can't, I cannot go out looking like, I have to look like I've showered Mm -hmm. and that I've at least looked at both pieces of clothing I've put on before putting them on. 
and it and makes I, me feel like I'm yes. a thousand years old. It, it is very funny when you all of a sudden find yourself in a moment where you're like, oh, I'm not young anymore. Like, I mm-hmm. really am not plugged into whatever, like, the young sensibilities are of the current youngest generation. Right. But you know who does feel like he's plugged into that is Garth Brooks. And he was feeling that so hard in that video. Do you think he's aware of the attention it's gotten or like the type of attention it's gotten? Or do you think that that just when you're that famous, it doesn't it rolls by you? I bet you it just didn't make a blip. I really I wish I I wish I could like string together some incredible narrative for you where it's the reaction got back to him and he was so tickled by it. I bet you he recorded that video. He hit upload and he never thought about it again. And never like added another video to it's like the this is my first blog I can't wait and then it that's the only blog. Remember when in like 2006 everyone was so convinced they were gonna get book deals if they had a blog? Oh yeah, oh yeah. (laughs) And as a person who also fell prey to that, I was like, this comes from a understanding place more than anything. Um, Bridger, honey, thank you so so much for coming on to do the show. You are a dream. You're a gentleman. I have to tell you something for realsies. I've always enjoyed you, Mr. Bridger Weiniger. Oh, God bless. I've, I've always had thought such you- a good time. Well, thank you. I've just always thought you were so funny. You are always so quick and working at the top of your intelligence. I don't think anyone else has your brain in comedy right now. I think oh. you are just a wonderful, wonderful person. I'm so delighted sweet. you came on. Let's let people know that you have a gorgeous podcast said, nope called i said no gifts the premise being you invite a guest onto the show you say please no gifts but guess what they bring you a gift i have so much behind me everything's a gift that you're looking at behind me just piling up in my home it isn't it so funny you thought your podcast was a great idea and then you became a hoarder and then you just became a hoarder I know. I've received probably a total of 10 things that i actually can use or appreciate and the rest is bizarre well what's Okay, one last thing, and then I promise I'll let you go. What's been the strangest gift you've received on your show? Oh, um, I will. I'll tell you the one item I've thrown away. Okay, yes. The one item that had to be thrown away, uh, the comedian Jamie Lee brought a chewed up dog toy. Jamie. (laughs) Jamie. And weirdly, she was the one guest where her assistant was like, and call us after so we can get the gift back. And then I got in touch with Jamie and she's like, oh, no, 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 that's wrong. That's wrong. It's like, you don't, certainly you don't want this half of a dog toy that is dirty back. So that was a mistake. But imagine uh, if she was like, no, but I do want it back. I Actually, need. that's where you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, honey, let people know. So that your podcast, I Said No Gifts, available wherever podcasts can be found. And where can people find you on social media if they want to keep tabs on you and know everything that you got going on? Instagram, my name, Instagram, I said no gifts. And then, of course, the graveyard that is Twitter. I mean, don't go there. Oh, you mean it's haunted. X? X. Meet me on X. <sighs> that fucking Elon. Bridger, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Thank you for doing this. And, and hopefully, maybe there will come a time when we can, our paths will cross in person and we can remove ourselves from the year 2020 away from these Zoom screens. Please. It's been such a nice time with you. Thanks, Bridger. Bye-bye. Bye. My thanks to Bridger Weiniger for coming on the show. Everyone, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review to his podcast, I Said No Gifts. Be sure to follow him on socials. And if you're feeling generous and if you're feeling like you're already in the headspace to rate, review, and subscribe to a show, why don't you do that with this one? Be sure to give us a five-star rating, write us a little review. It would mean the world. Share the show around. You know, listen, word of mouth is the best publicity. So if you like the show and you want to pass it along to someone else who you think would really be on board, by all means, please do so. And as another little sort of thing to put a pin on this episode. I always task my guests with bringing in their favorite things from pop culture. So I will leave you, my audience, with one of my favorite things. Now, listen, we're in a bit of a time machine right now. We're at the end of July. But as of yesterday, Sinead O'Connor just passed away. And so to honor her memory, I would like to talk about her album, I Do Not Want What I Have Not Got. It is the second album that she put out as a solo artist. It's the album that launched her into the stratosphere. It has singles on it, of course, like Nothing Compares to You, Emperor's New Clothes, um, Black Boys on Mopeds. I mean, it's an incredible record. She had, I think, probably the most devastatingly beautiful voice I've ever heard in my life. 
so incredible. I would really encourage you to listen to that record. She's wonderful. Thank you all so much for listening. I am Liam Garrow. Be sure to follow me on socials everywhere at Liam Garrow. I would love to connect with you. And listen, until then, we will see you next time. Bye-bye.